And the next lesson is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we will be, be beginning at the 8th verse going through to the 13th verse. And I haven't got a page number for it. I've got a different... It's up there, 817. Okay. Part of one of Paul's letters and uh, very relevant for today. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. Well, what an honour it is to be here today. This church has been such an incredible, incredible partner with the Ministry of Open Doors for so long. Cliff mentioned it before, but I'm just, I'm kind of overwhelmed by all of the ways that this church has been a partner with Open Doors and the persecuted church from people who have worked with us, Anne, Reese, Lee, I just met this morning, there might even be more of you, the volunteers, I've met volunteers already this morning, giving people, people supporting with their finance for the ministry, prayerful supporters. You guys, what a blessing that is for the global church. Really so thankful. But it's also a special day today, isn't it? A hundred years since Armistice. And do you know, I struggle to comprehend the magnitude of that. World War One trying to understand as someone in my generation what it's like to be in war, for those soldiers who gave up everything in service of their country, their world, future and for peace. How do they have such courage and bravery to lift themselves up from the trenches knowing the horror that faced them and was in front of them? I feel we have so much to learn from the courage of our soldiers. The courage from the battlefields of the world wars. But if we think today about the persecuted church, the courage of the soldiers on the front lines of taking the gospel out to the darkest places on earth. I'm going to put up on the screen one of those soldiers. Her name is Bahia, and she's from India. She's 22 years old. 
I can only show you this much of her. She's the one with the pink clip in the back of the hair. We can only show you that much for security. But I want to share with you her story. Just after she became a believer, Bahia's brother got critically ill. Taken from doctor to doctor, no one knew what to be able to do with him. They said, sorry, family. There's nothing we can do. So Bahia's mother, a Hindu at the time, turned to Bahia and said, please pray for your brother. She prayed. By the grace of God, her brother was healed and her mother came to Christ. But they were not accepted by their village. Bahia and her mother were harassed and persecuted throughout their village for leaving Hinduism, for what they're seen as a foreign god. They were verbally abused and the village leaders would meet together to say, what are we going to do about these Christians? And if that wasn't bad enough, then started the physical violence. They came to Bahia's house, dragged her out of the house while villagers, men and women alike, were beating Bahia. She was holding on to her Bible and someone tried to yank it out of her hand saying, we're going to burn this book. Bahia responded, pleading with them, do what you want with me, but don't destroy the Bible. As Bahia was being dragged, she had a vision of Jesus being dragged and beaten to Calvary. You see, Bahia knew that she wasn't doing this alone. She was following her saviour. She lost consciousness and awoke in a forest with the other Christians from her village. All of them had been ejected. The police and the village leaders came and they were able to create peace and return to the village. But just a couple of days later, the abuse started again. The leaders gathered all of the Christians together and held a meeting and said, you must leave Christianity or we will hurt you. The Christians refused to give up. So again, they were rejected from the village. And Bahia said she was warned by them. When they threw us out of the village, they threatened to abuse or kill me if I returned. What do you do? Bahia, she went straight to Bible college. She said, I want to spend more time learning about God so one day I can return with the gospel. Please pray for me that God will help me live out my vision to share his word with unbelievers, especially in my village. That heart to want to continue to go back. You're rejected, but Lord, just help me grow so I can keep going back there with the gospel. How do you have that heart? Open doors, we were helping Bahia just with practical needs. When she's fleeing the village with nothing, how can she survive? The practical things to live and to go to Bible college. We spoke to Bahia and said, do you have a message for the church around the world who's supporting you? We expected a thank you. What we got was this. Don't be afraid when persecution comes to you. It's part of the Christian life. Bahia says, it's a privilege to be persecuted.
hell. In truly bringing the magnitude of what she's saying there, not only am I still going to believe when I keep getting pushed out of my village and tortured and abused, not only am I going to keep going back because I believe that they need to know Jesus, but I'm going to have the perspective that it's a privilege. How do you have that courage and strength? The beauty is... Paul has gone before us and written most of the New Testament in these eyes of being persecuted himself. Paul, the original persecutor, standing over Stephen's death, the first Christian post-Jesus to be killed for his faith. But he also became one of the original persecuted, taking the gospel out in the province of Asia and being tortured, being imprisoned, being abused for it. And Paul has these words for the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians. Verse 8 and 9, he says, We were under a great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we have received the death sentence, like Bahia facing death for her faith. So was Paul. And Paul, that original, like you see him in the New Testament, you think, wow. Even he is in the point of this persecution where he's despairing of life itself. Things are tough. And you can see from the story of Bahia that is not a story that stands in the Old Testament. It's not a story of isolation. It is real and it's around the world. I'm going to pull up a map for you. I'm sure we've all seen this before. I probably showed this to you last year. The World Watch List the 50 hardest countries in the world to be a Christian. Those colours, they show the places where we consider to be high to extreme persecution. There are at least 215 million Christians around the earth who are suffering in the name of Jesus. And just a couple of examples, North Korea, one of our brothers there says of of a new believer, when he came to faith, He made a decision that one day he would die for Christ. Every Christian in North Korea has made that choice. Can you consider that? Here, we say make a decision for live for Jesus. In North Korea, it's make a decision to die for Jesus. Pakistan, they say this of Easter. We celebrate Easter knowing that at any time a suicide bomber can come in and disrupt our service, our worship, our praying. But then I think, will it really be disrupted or will I go into the fullness of worship? Or India. We heard that story of Bahia from India. But in India, there's an extremist Hindu group called RSS. They have said by the 31st of December, 2021... We want to rid our country of Christianity. Safety is not the norm in Christianity. Persecution is real and it is rampant. To me, I think about these things and going, surely this would stifle faith. 
surely the oppression is so severe that it would, you know, in a way chain you from being able to live for Jesus. So how in these places does Christianity survive? Or how even can God use it for Christianity and the love of God to thrive? I want to take you to Egypt as an example. This is Nadia. On the day of ascension last year, Nadia and her family were travelling down from Cairo to St Samuel's Monastery to celebrate the ascension of the Lord Jesus. As they were travelling, Nadia was a little bit nervous. You see, in the months gone by, the churches in Egypt had been continually attacked. There were two suicide bombing attacks on Palm Sunday just before it. So you can recognise why she would be nervous. But as they were going, they saw a few military men start to approach the bus. Nadia, she breathed a sigh of relief, thinking, we're going to get safe passage. They're going to look after us. But then the men cocked their weapons and shot out the tyres of the bus. They forced their way on board. See, these men, they weren't Egyptian military. They were Islamic State. They walked their way through the bus as they got to Nadia's son-in-law, Sama. Pulled their weapons to him and said, convert to Islam or die. Sama rolled up his sleeve, revealed a cross tattoo on his wrist and said, no, I'm a Christian. He was killed on the spot. They kept working their way through the bus like this until they got to Nadia's son, Hani. And Nadia was looking into the eyes of her son as he said his last words, No, I'm a Christian. 28 of her brothers and sisters went to be with the Lord that day. How does she go on from that? Those eyes have seen what happened to her son right in front of her. Nadia says this of that day. Maybe you think I'd rather have seen my son make a different choice. Of course, as a mother, I am sad and angry because I lost my son. But I am happy that I witnessed the faith I raised in him. I am thankful that he wouldn't deny Christ even with his life in danger. If I meet the attackers of my son and they kill me for my faith, I will be happy because I'll be with my son in heaven. How do you survive when the world is turning against you for your faith? You cling to hope. Nadia had a hope that is beyond anything that she's experiencing. She had a hope in eternity. She had a faith that she knew what had happened to her son. And she knew where she was going. She knew the love of Jesus. And that sustained her. Isn't that the same as Paul in this passage? Verse 9. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. 
On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Paul, completely trusting in the Lord God who raises the dead. He has seen what has happened with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. See, before 2 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul just writes the most beautiful, one of the longest chapters that he writes all about the resurrection. And he finishes with, thanks be to God, he gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, he knows the victory that is awaiting him in eternity. Everything that is happening to him is just pointing him more to that hope. He knows he'll be delivered. And I don't think that that means that he knows that he's going to be physically delivered and be safe and well all the time. But he knows that in eternity, he's going to be delivered. God's love never fails. One of my favourite verses of Scripture is from Romans 8. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God's love remains through all circumstances. Paul has a hope. He knows what eternity awaits him. What I find incredible about this, it is the very thing that should be crushing. It is the very thing that is trying to stamp down our faith and squash it out, that God uses to bring us a bigger vision of eternity. This is why in Open Doors we say that the persecuted church is one of the most hope-filled places on the planet. What I love about these verses, though, is that Paul just keeps going, doesn't he? The hope enables us to endure. But I believe that it is a shared hope that breaks the chains of persecution. How did those verses today start? Paul says, I do not want you to be uninformed about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. Isn't that interesting? Paul says, Corinthians, you have to know about what is happening to me. You can't be ignorant You've got to know this. Paul knows he can't do life alone. God isn't calling us into isolated holiness. He's calling us into a relational community where we lift each other up. He needs the Corinthian church. I've been learning this the hard way. This month marks an anniversary for me. One year ago, November 2017, right now, I was on stress leave. Career was, was looking great, but it was stressing me out. I was anxious. I was getting on the side of depression, and it got to the point where I had to take a month leave. I was struggling with what to do, and... Um, Oh, to be honest, it was the hardest battle that I'd faced, so I'd, I didn't know how to deal with it, and I was trying to do the blokey thing of, just get yourself together, Dan, just sort it out. You know, the result of that is nothing. And it took me months, but finally I realised, hold on, we're the body of Christ. God places us in community. He's, he puts help around us. He seeks for us to do life together. It wasn't until I found that and shared and sought help 
and shared hope that something started to shift. I'm sure we all know it, but I think we all need reminding of it sometimes. We need to share the hope, guys. We need to share our lives together. God has put all of these people around you to help you for his glory. Why? So you can get that support from the body of Christ. But as well, it's when you share that you can get some prayer. If you're not going to share, where's the prayer going to come from? And prayer is supremely powerful. Paul says, You help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. I want to just give that quick reminder today. Do you realise or remember the power of your prayers? Do you realise that you're praying to an almighty, loving, heavenly Father? We see this all the time in the persecuted church, to the point where our founder, Brother Andrew, says of prayer, if we understood the potential power of our prayers, we would be on our knees a hundred times a day, praying for the things that turn the world upside down. That is the power of our prayers. You know what? The persecuted church knows this. The Egyptian church knows this. See, the Egyptian church, like I said before, they were continually attacked last year. We wanted to help us open doors, so we went to Egyptian church leaders and we said, Church, how can we pray for you? They said, don't pray for us. Pray with us. If you pray for us, you might pray for safety. You might pray for the persecution to stop. We are not praying for this. They said, we ask God for the salvation of Egypt. We ask that he draws millions of Muslims to Christ. We ask that we'll be bold and clear in sharing the gospel with Muslims. We pray that when the inevitable persecution comes, that we will not run, that we will be faithful, even if it costs us our lives. What a vision for prayer the Egyptian church has. But how much is that shared hope also at their core? The continued struggles, but knowing that what Jesus has for us is greater. And to wanting to share that through the church in the world, but also with every person in their nation. What a challenge to us. Be real with each other. Share hope with your Christian brothers and sisters. Share hope at Stockland on Christmas. What an opportunity that is to share the hope with the world. Share hope, brothers and sisters. This is what Open Doors is about. We want to enable the hope of Jesus Christ to go out into the darkest places on earth. We are not about stopping persecution We're about sharing the love of Jesus, empowering the local church, the local ministry, the local Christian to share the love of Christ. 
For Bahia, it was about practical support. For the Egyptian church, it's about empowering ministries, youth ministries, women's ministries, and trauma counselling. Whatever the local church needs to stay strong and to share Christ, that's what we want to do. And here's what it looked like last year. Two and a half million Bibles and other books to the persecuted church. Training for almost 500,000 people, pastors, trauma counsellors, preparing for persecution courses, and practical support to 830,000 people, people like Bahia, people fleeing the war in Syria. This is what we do. This is what this beautiful community has been helping us do for years. So, thank you so much. It is such a joy and a privilege that you have shared with us this journey to share the gospel into the darkest places on earth. I'm still struggling to understand even how far this goes in sharing the gospel in places like India and Egypt. But for those who haven't been on that journey with us yet, I wanted also to just share with you how that works and how you can be a part of that journey. We have a new challenge for our partners this year. We say, could you match a subscription in your life to the survival of the persecuted church? See, it's this phenomena now where everything is by subscription, isn't it? Your music through Spotify, your Netflix, your HelloFresh, your gym, your mobile phone. Everything is from subscription. But could you subscribe to the survival of the body of Christ in the darkest places? $10 a month, $20 a month, $100 a month, whatever could work for you. We would love to partner with you on that journey to keep taking the gospel and the love of Jesus out to the darkest places on earth. For those who want to join us, we'll give you a frontline partner pack like this so you can remember that partnership. But this church... Your partnership has been incredible. So thank you. What an amazing passage this is from Paul. And this has built up the dream that we have at Open Doors is for the body of Christ to be empowered by this shared hope. The local church right here. The national church and the global church. We have this eternal, beautiful hope I pray that that grows a fire of faith in all of us so we can take the gospel out right here and out to the darkest places on earth. Will you pray with me, church? Lord Jesus, we mourn for those who are suffering severely for you. I can't imagine what it is like to be harassed and tortured, to be ejected from village and every person you know, to have family members killed for following you. But Lord, praise you that the hope that we have in eternity is so much greater than anything we can experience. Thank you so much for the hearts of Bahia, Nadia, and many in the persecuted church that see you 
and see how much greater you are. Lord, help us to all cling to the shared hope in our eternity, for us to share it with our brothers and sisters and to share it with all those around us here, through Australia, to the ends of the darkest places on earth. Amen. Just invite you to stand now and...